to everyone today, and if you are a guest this morning, we are so happy to have you in service with us this morning. We welcome you. Praise God. If you're watching us online, we welcome you as a part of this service wherever you may be as well. I want to remind all of you today, and probably especially if you're new or newer, I want to remind you uh, the the, the, uh, the last verse of uh, the Apostle Peter's second epistle. He's, he says, but grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that wasn't a, that wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't a recommendation. It was a command, because we are in, we are supposed to continuously grow in our relationship with God, our understanding, our knowledge. He said, "Grow in grace and knowledge." Grace is growing in the empowerment of the Spirit working in and through you, working through your life, but then also in knowledge, because it's through our knowledge of the Word of God that we are going to overcome the attacks of the enemy on our mind, on our lives, and so we have a variety of ways to try to help you and provide for you to do that, and we've got an area back to my left, our grow area somebody there after service if you'd like to know, learn more about some of the options that are available to do that. Amen. If you would turn to Jeremiah chapter number two. Jeremiah chapter number two. And I will begin reading with verse number Nine. Jeremiah 2, verse number 9. Wherefore I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. For I pass over the aisles. You know, let me just, this isn't the message, but let me just insert this. We so many times... We struggle with this idea that God is, you know, basically He's against us. He's our, He's our enemy. God is for us. He says, I, I will plead. <laughs> the other night, Friday night, we had uh, service for the Maryland, D.C. district that we're a part of in Imesville. And uh, 1,060 people from Maryland and D.C. gathered together Friday night for a wonderful time of worship and praise and fellowship. And, and uh, at, the, at the end of the preaching, uh, Brother Mark Drost, who was the preacher that night, was, was given um, an invitation for those that would like to receive the Holy Ghost. And and uh, he said, he said, if if I was God, I'd I'd charge you. He said, if I was God, before I gave you the Holy Ghost, I'd do a background check. Then the the, the killer was. He said, if I was God, I'd go talk to your ex. <laughs> and of course, his point was. God doesn't do any of those things. 
So if you're battling with thoughts that God is against you, God has written you off, that, that's not from God. There are very few, you can get to a point where God decides he's finished trying to get your attention, trying to save you. You can get there. But very, very few people get there. Because he continues loving, caring, reaching, drawing. Verse number 10 for pass over the isles of Chittim and see and send unto Kedar and consider diligently and see if there be such a thing. See if what the next verse says. See if you can find this. Has a nation changed their gods which are not yet, which are yet not no gods? I'm saying, can you even find a nation? Who trades out their gods, even though they're not gods. They're, they're not really gods because there's only one God. Several places the Lord says, beside me there is no other God. But, but he says, even for, for nations whose gods aren't really even God, can you find one that trades their gods for other gods? You can't do it. But he says, my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. My people, the ones that have and know the true God, have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, not a fountain, but the fountain, and have hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. A cistern there is not like a brethren. It's a container it's a tank built to hold water. He says, you have forgotten me. You've forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And you've tried to create containers to hold water. And they, they can't even hold water. I guess for the sake of a title this morning... For the media department's sake, if nothing else, I want to preach to you gods that are no gods. Gods that are no gods. Father, I thank you for your presence in this place today. I thank you for your spirit that we have felt and experienced working and moving in this place. And now, God, I pray that through your word, you would minister, you would speak to us today. Your word is the source. Lord, your word says that it is the lamp unto our feet and it's the light unto our path. It's not just a lamp. It's not just a light, but it is the lamp. It is the light. So I pray that your word would find good grounds in the hearts of the people in this place today, that it might 
bring about a change, bring about an eternal impact in our lives, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, I trust you and depend upon you this morning. Trust you for your anointing today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. He says, can you, can you even find, and you have to understand that the time at which the Lord spoke this through the prophet Jeremiah, the children of Israel knew what it was to be surrounded by nations, either nations that surrounded them where they willingly dwelled or places that they were in bondage and captivity and had no choice of being there. They were continually around people who believed that there were many gods, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans. They all believed that there were many gods, in fact, hundreds, and some of them even thousands of gods. And, and, and the word of the Lord through Jeremiah was, they're, they're not even gods. They're not doing anything for them. They're not helping them. They're not saving them. They're not healing them. They're not delivering them. They're not satisfying them. But, but they're not even trying to trade out fake gods for other gods. You, you can't find that. And yet my people who have the true and living God have tried to make and find other gods. And, and you have committed two evils. It's kind, of, it's kind of interesting, I think, if you were to read just the first part of verse 13, that my people have committed two evils, and you didn't know what the rest of that verse said, and, and we were, we were going to take guesses at what the rest of it said. I would be surprised that if you didn't know what the Scripture said, if you would come anywhere close to guessing what the two evils were. Because I think we probably would guess some things that we would consider to be way worse, way, way more vile than the two things the Lord says. But the Lord says you, you, have, you, haven't, just, you haven't just made two mistakes. <laughs> you have committed two evils and here's what you've done. You, you, first of all, you have forsaken me, the fountain, the source of living water. Jesus said it this way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I don't think it's a coincidence that that's the way it says it. I don't think it's a mistake that it didn't just say, I am a way, I am a truth, I am a life. I think there's a lot of people that are okay with Jesus being an option for a way, a truth, and a life. But you're in a church today, not trying to be judgmental or critical. I just believe what the Word of God says. You're in a place today that we believe He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And so I'll say it also like this. He is the only way. He is the only truth. And He is the only life. He said in another place, The thief cometh not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. 
But I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. It's pretty amazing that the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy is the one who comes lying and promising you that he's going to give you life and he's going to give you life more abundantly. And the one who says, I'm going to give you life, we don't believe him. We believe the one that sells all kinds of lies and gives us all kind of promises that he's never going to fulfill. You've forsaken me, the source of life, the fountain of living water. And the second thing you have done is you have you have created containers. You have, you have tried to create something to hold the water in that doesn't have its own supply. You, you, have, you have taken an unlimited source and supply of water. And, and water here is partly in the context of representing life. You've taken the source, a continuous source of life. And instead you've substituted for a container in which you are trying to get life. And so not only have you forsaken the fountain. You've substituted for something that can't even do what you're trying to do. Psalms 115 in verse number 1 says this, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold. And the work of men's hands, they have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they have they handle not. Feet they have, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They've, they have created themselves gods. I would venture to say that most of us sitting here this morning, as I have read those verses just now, you probably sit there and think, well, I... That's not me. I don't have any gods that I've created. I, I don't have any. I, I haven't done that because we're, we're thinking of it in the context of their idols, their statues, the things that they did. But with most things throughout Scripture, there, is, there may be some physical, but there's also some spiritual applications and principles. And while you and I today may not have created, we may not have formed or fashioned out of stone or marble or wood gods that have ears but can't see and eyes that are, are uh, uh, ears that can't see, yeah. Eyes that can't see, ears that can't hear, hands that can't touch. We've still created gods. Sometimes we make a family our God. That's, that's to become the source of our happiness, our joy, our, our pleasure, our fulfillment. And i got to tell you, one of the 
greatest joys of my entire life has been and is my family. But we're now entering in that season of life where heading into the direction of empty nesters. It's a whole new world. I, I, to my daughters and my son who is out of town, preface, this is not intended to be any shots fired. I, last night, I, 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 I love a campfire, and I'm sitting out back last night, and Timothy joined, but nobody else was there. Five, six years ago, there would have been five or six of us there. But now they, they got their own lives. We spend time together and all that, so again, this isn't no... If I was trying to... Fire shots, I wouldn't tell you, just fire the shots. I don't want you to think I'm firing shots at them. It's changing. And that's why after years and years of marriage and raising children, multiple children, when those kids are gone, a husband and a wife look at each other and there's nothing left that keeps them together because they've made a God. They've spent... 10, 12, 18, 20 years making gods out of their kids only to forget the fact those gods are going to forsake you. (laughs) Even if you got a good relationship with them. Even if you've got a great connection with them. they're, They're moving on. I was, I was the, I was the man for 20 plus years. Not anymore. We create gods that are no gods and we give ourselves to trying to fill life in an empty container. Career. I I, I was listening to a a, a book over the last couple of days off and on some and, 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 and the author was talking about the fact a hundred years or so ago it was a sign of wealth was how much leisure time you had. And if you were hanging out at the, you know, the golf course or the, the club, not the, not the Saturday night club, the, the uh, country club, yeah. If you were going on vacation all the time, that was, that was a sign of wealth. But now it seems to be a sign of wealth that the, the, more, you, the more wealthy you are, the more you work. The more time you spend at the job, the less time you have for the things in life that really matter. You, 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 you're, you're creating cisterns to try to create life and you have forsaken the source. You've forsaken the source of life. Listen to what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 1. Solomon considered to be the wisest man that ever lived. I want you to notice one thing in this passage. I'm going to read. It's only 11 verses. I'm going to read the whole the whole chapter. But I, I, the, the, the word I, I want you to notice how many times you hear the word I in this chapter. In fact, I'm just going to tell you how many. You'll see it 20 times. In 11 verses, the word I is there 20 times. I said in my heart, go to now. 
I will prove thee with myrrh, therefore enjoy pleasure, and behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of myrrh, what doeth it? I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was that good for the son, what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. I made me great works, I builded me houses, I planted me vineyards, I made me gardens of orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kind of fruits. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and servants both born in my house. Also I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. Not only did he get servants and maidens, he had seven hundred wives that fact alone causes me to question how in the world could Solomon ever be considered the wisest man in the world no man with any wisdom would have 700 wives You know, it's it's so funny to me. I and and you know, I, I uh, to a degree I I I did it in some ways, but I just it it cracked me up watching young people who fall in love at fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. They fall in love. And they have met the one they're going to spend the rest of their life with. And there's no point telling them otherwise. They, they've, this is the one. Until. A prettier one. Comes along. Or a better looking one. Come, you know, I kind of got that one wrong I am so thankful I take great consolation in knowing that I'm in a relationship in which I don't care if a better looking guy comes along I don't care if a better built guy comes along I'm not worried about getting traded in You know, how many times, Liz Taylor, right? Isn't that Elizabeth Taylor? How many, six or seven times, wasn't she got married? Five, six, seven? I think it was at least five. Google it. Go ahead, Google it. It's at least five times. You would think after kind of two, first of all, the guys that were starting to get interested in her would kind of go, you know, and then you would start to think, she would start to realize maybe there's a common thread. We get caught up thinking, if I just get better, if I get newer, if I get bigger, if I get more expensive, I'm going to be happy. doesn't happen. 
Because you may have a cistern in which you are trying to put water. But until you have the fountain. You see, the problem is too many people approach God and Christianity like this. Let me, let me come on Sunday morning and get filled up. Let, let me come and get filled up and then I'm going to. You know, I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a supply. When God is offering so much more, rather than offering you a little bit of water that you can contain and and have to ration, He's saying, "I, I want to give you an unlimited supply." I, I built great, I, I had great works. I built houses. I, I planted vineyards. I, 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 verse number eight, I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces. I, I got men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that all of all sorts. You know, anybody ever been to a concert? you have paralysis of the arms this morning, we can pray. I feel a lion spirit here. I didn't say what kind. I just said. Have you ever been to a concert? How many of you ever went to the concert and you got the cheap seats because you wanted to go, but you did Yeah. Yeah. What's, what Solomon was saying was, I, I, didn't get, I didn't get the balcony seat way up in the up in the you know, the high part of the arena to go and listen. I, I got the whole band just to come and play for me. He had an unlimited amount of resources to get whatever he wanted, to do whatever he wanted to do. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my portion of all my labor. Anybody here today got something you've been saving up for? Anybody got something you're saving for? You want it, you want it bad, but you're saving for it because you don't have the money. That wasn't Solomon. Solomon said, whatever I wanted, I went and got. Whatever I was interested in, I got it. Whatever my eyes desired, I I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. I, I, was, I, was, I was creating a cistern into which I was trying to get water into, and as much as I poured in, it couldn't contain it. He says it's all emptiness. The word vanity there basically just means empty. It's all empty. It's all empty. Anything that I try to create as my source of joy, it's empty. Anything that I rely on outside of Jesus Christ to be my living water is empty. 
But there is a source. There is a fountain of living water. And the wonderful thing about that fountain is you don't have to just come here to get that water. There's, there's not a specific place where you have to go to, but I'll get there in a few moments. Not only is there a fountain of living water, but what one of the most awesome things is, I cannot just have access to that fountain. I cannot just simply have access to the source, but I can actually have that source on the inside of me, that never-ending source and supply of living water can be on the inside of me. I read several years ago there was a survey and they surveyed people and those that made, I don't remember the exact numbers, but in the gist of it was those that made twenty to forty thousand dollars a year thought, boy, if I could just if they could just make eighty thousand dollars a year, they'd be happy and those that made $80,000 a year thought if I could just make, you know, $120,000, I'd be happy. And, and then those that made one hundred twenty, it's never enough. It's never enough. You see, God designed us as human beings to not be satisfied. You were made to not be satisfied. The problem is you've got to decide what it is you're not going to be satisfied with. Because if you choose to pursue natural things, it's never enough. It's never enough. We, we always sit here and, and we all have different things. We're interested. Some, of you, some of you are interested in clothes and, and, and others of you... you long as you've got something to put on, that's all you care about. You don't care about what style. You don't care about what you just, you don't even care if it matches, just as long as you got it. Others, some of you couldn't care any less about shoes. Some of you, all you care about is they're comfortable. Others don't really care about comfort. You care about how they look. I don't know why I probably have kind of thought about it before. I was, I was, I was, I was worshiping, but I, I just, I happened for some reason this morning to notice my wife's heels. And at the, at the base of that heel is less than a dime surface area. And she wasn't standing there like this the whole time. She's just standing there. I got these three-inch by three-inch heels, and I feel like I'm about to fall over. Cars. Some of you, all you care about is that you got a car that gets you from point A to point B. Others, you care about what it looks like, how fast it is, what are the gadgets on it. Some of you, all you care about is you got a roof over your head and heat when it's cold and air when it's hot, and that's... But bottom line is all of us have something or some things in our life that we're interested in and we are never satisfied with. The only way the things of this world and the people of this world 
can satisfy us is when they are secondary to the one that we are pursuing. Because the awesome thing about God is when you direct your attention toward Him, you're also never satisfied with how much of Him you have. You're also never content with how much you know about Him, with how much you fellowship with Him. But unlike the other things, it's not just the discontent that I feel because though I am not satisfied with how much of him I have there is an appreciation there is a value that comes to everything else when he is number one Isaiah 55 and verse 1 says this oh stop wait everyone that thirsts come to the waters And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. As I said about Brother Dross, that when... When, when God is offering you the gift of eternal life, when God is offering you salvation, you don't have to have a certain amount of money. God's like one of those car deal, used car dealerships that got to sign up. No matter how bad your credit is, we'll sell you a car. No matter how bad you've been, no matter how many mistakes you've made, no matter how horrible of a person you've been, God is willing and ready to offer you the gift of eternal life. You say, whatever, whatever reason you think you can't come, you don't have what it takes, you don't have, there, there are no obstacles. He has made a way. We sang it this morning. You made a way. That's the case with salvation. There is nothing that can keep you and I from experiencing the gift of salvation. Listen to what he says in verse 2. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Listen to the way the Message Bible says verse 2. It just, as it does in a number of things, it just kind of has a way of putting it in really plain terms. Why do you spend your money on junk food? Your hard-earned cash on cotton candy. Listen to me. Listen well. Eat only the best. Fill yourself with only the finest. I like cotton candy. But I've learned it doesn't matter how much cotton candy you eat. You're still hungry. I, I, we, we, I was told about it last week in a different way, but when we stopped a couple of weeks ago, or a week and a half ago on our way back from Florida for breakfast, I got, I got French toast, and my wife said, did you get, did you get any meat? No. You're going to be hungry in a couple hours. I don't care. It tastes good. Syrup is sweet. I wasn't really worried about the fact that I really wasn't going to be filled. I was spending my money on cotton candy, really. So why do you why are you giving yourself to something that cannot satisfy? Verse 3, incline your ear and come unto me. Hear and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you even the sure mercies of David. 
You're, you're trying to somehow create something that I want to give you. You're trying to manufacture a life and joy and peace. And, and I'm trying to provide you with an unending source. Jesus and his disciples one day were on one of their journeys in John chapter 4. Verse number 1 says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. you you got to understand that verse and the way it says it. It, it kind of makes it sound like all of this is just coincidence. He just happened to get tired and just happened to decide to sit and stop at this well. That was not the case. There was a divine appointment that he was positioning himself for. Verse number 7 tells us about it. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou being a Jew askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said, Now watch this, watch this. The the conversation starts off with him asking her about natural physical water. That's what he was talking about. When he asked her for a drink, he was talking about literal water from that well. She responds, why are you talking to me? And we don't have dealings with each other. And then listen to how he then responds to her. There is this sudden turn in the conversation. He says, if you knew... The gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink. You would have asked him, you would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. I can almost imagine this woman kind of going, what just happened? We, We were just talking about water in this well, and now you're talking about some living water? The woman saith unto him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank here himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this well, or drinketh of this water, shall thirst again. 
But whoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him, shall be in him, not a cistern to go to and draw from, but it will be in him as a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And then he goes on to say, go get your husband. She says, well, that's kind of hard. I've had five. And I'm now living with one that's not. You know, you know why Jesus went from the water in that well to the living water? Because he knew she wasn't satisfied. She knew she was trying to fill an emptiness with things and people and and, and she had a cistern that she was trying to pour into to create something. But he said, I, I want to give you something that's going to be in you. And it's going to be a continuous supply. There is a big difference between me relying on this bottle of water versus the spigot in my sink at home. I've got to worry about this, that there's only a limited supply. But when I go home and I turn on the faucet, I'm not worried about, in fact, most of us probably waste water because we are connected to, not literally, but figuratively, we're connected to an unending supply. Jesus said, I... I am, I want to give you the unending supply of living water so that you will never thirst again. John chapter 7 verse number 37, the scripture says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. The word feast there doesn't just simply mean the way we use it today. To us, a feast is all about eating. It was more than that, but that was a part of it. And it's the last day. They've been feasting. They've been celebrating for days. It's the last day. And on the last day, he says, is anybody still thirsty it's kind of an odd question to ask about days of feasting it's kind of a a, a strange question to ask after you have spent several days celebrating together and now he says is anybody still thirsty because he wasn't talking about that physical thirst because no matter how much time they had spent celebrating and eating and drinking of natural things if they were not connected to the fountain of living water it's just never enough it's not enough there is a source there is a supply I want you to notice again what Jesus or what the word of the Lord through Jeremiah was. He's talking to his people. In verse 13, it clearly says, my people, not the sinners, not the world. 
my people. My people. People in this place today that you've been born again for years and years, decades for some of you now. But somewhere along the way, perhaps not necessarily intentionally, but somewhere along the way you you forsook the fountain. And you've started trying to fill containers as the source. Anybody this morning can think back to what it was like when you were first born again and received the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues for the first time. I got a question. How many of you, when when that happened, you you were your life was at a very low point? How many of you? How many of you, when you got the Holy Ghost, your life was going awesome and great? Everything was wonderful. I saw a couple hands. It happens, but that's the that's the minority. The majority is. You have hit rock bottom. You've tried. There's an old song. I think in the years ago we, we sung it in church. We haven't sung it forever. But it says, when you've tried everything and everything has failed, try Jesus. Oh, yes. When you've tried everything, try Jesus. Can you imagine what the Lord's doing when we're singing that song? Really? Try everything. And when everything you tried didn't work, then come try me. I wonder what would have happened 30 plus years ago if I would have said to my wife pre-marriage, well... You're all that's left. So I guess, would you marry me? How do you think that would have went? I proposed on a little water taxi downtown Annapolis. Probably would have been an article in the Capitol the next day because we didn't have Facebook and Arundel First Alert and all. There would have been an article in the Capitol the next day. Young man dry die, or drowns in Annapolis Harbor. <laughs> man, I, I think that ought to be a Christian country song. You got to sing, when you've tried everything, what in the world? And everything has failed. Truth of the matter is, that's a lot of people's life. You tried everything, and the good news is, he's sitting there going, okay, I'm going to be waiting. You should have tried me first. You should have turned to me first. But if you're going to try everything and find out everything else, I'm still going to be waiting on you. 
still going to be there like the prodigal son's father when he decided to come home. I'm still going to be waiting with open arms to welcome you back in because if you got to learn the hard way, then learn the hard way. But at the end of the day, there is only one source of life. The old song says, only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Only He can take your heart and make you free and whole. He'll give you peace you never knew. Sweet love and joy in heaven too. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. As I always do, I started a point and didn't finish it and I'm coming back to it. Back to those of you that when things, how about maybe you weren't on the very bottom, but how about how, how, how many of you when you got saved, life really wasn't great? Maybe you weren't on the bottom, but yeah, so pretty much you were either on the bottom or you were heading to the bottom. I got a question. How many of you when you, when you got, uh, I'm, I'm going to use you for an example here, so if you don't want that, don't raise your hand, but if you're willing... Anybody here that when you got when you got the Holy Ghost, got baptized in Jesus' name, how many of you had financial, major financial issues going on at that time? Hopefully this doesn't backfire. So I'm not gonna get into the personal part of it, don't worry. So Brother Tom, you had some you had financial some challenges financially. I had a question. When you the day you got baptized when you when you went back home, did you all of a sudden have all the money you needed? R- really? You still had those same? Shh, hold on. I'm messing. This isn't going to backfire. Is it? Sister Creek, I think I saw your hand up. Did, did it all change? Did you did you go home and open? Of course, back then you couldn't go and log on to your bank account. You, you we had to go. You know, I I don't know how we got our balance. I guess we got it every month in the mail. I don't know. Did, did did you all of a sudden have thousands of dollars in your wallet? Wow. Hmm. Did you care? Because you were what? He said, I I was whole. It's kind of sad that when we first get saved, we're okay with the fact that I still got financial problems, I still got sickness, I got other issues, but I'm whole. I'm whole. Why is it that somewhere along the way we fall into this trap that it's no longer good enough that I'm whole? It's no longer good enough that I got peace and joy no matter what my circumstances are. I I somehow start to create some cisterns and I try to start to create what I think is life instead of continuing to rely on the source. You've forsaken me. The source, the fountain, my people, my people, not this again, not the sinner that's never known me, not the person that doesn't know anything about me, but the people that know me, the people that have experienced me. You've you've committed evils that you've traded me the source of living water. 
now you've 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 created containers to try to hold it in you've you've given up an unending supply for a limited minimum supply We were created, it's not a flaw, we were created to not be satisfied. The problem is we've got to choose what is going to be the number one thing. And no, I I, I know some people are are not satisfied with Jesus because they're disappointed, they're mad at what he's done or has, that's, that's not what I'm talking about, obviously. I'm talking about the not being satisfied because, wow, he's so good. He's so wonderful. And if there's more, if I can keep growing in grace, if I can keep growing in the knowledge of, the, of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I, I, it's, it's not enough. And all the other stuff that I've tried to find fulfillment in all the other things I've tried to turn to as the source of happiness and contentment and joy starts to not matter anymore when Jesus I've mentioned it in two services in a row I'll make it the third I started on our drive home from Florida a couple weeks ago listening to a book called Brother Andrew, God's Smuggler. And it's a story of Brother Andrew who became sold out to smuggling Bibles and other Christian material into communist countries, 40s, 50s, 60s. And in the in the uh, in the epilogue of the book, it was talking about the fact that he and his wife were content, been living in the same house for years, had his little garden outside, chose to walk to where the office was, became eventually became. What he was doing on his own became a nonprofit that continues to this day. It was talking about the fact that many other groups, organizations that have done similar things to what he's done, how that monies that were donated got used for many other things besides. Somehow, some way, he managed for decades to keep his focus on what the source joy and happiness never became about the things it never became about the possessions Jesus said it this way seek ye first first the kingdom of God and his righteousness then he says this all these things 
got a question. What are things? Ready for deep spiritual revelation? Things are things. Let that sink in for a moment. I know that's powerful. Things are things. As I said earlier, for different ones of us, the things that we're interested in, the things that we value, are they're different. But things are things. And the Lord said, if you will seek me first, I will, I will add the thing. many people spend their lives, their effort, their energy trying to get the things, only to get them and find out they don't fulfill, they don't satisfy. Jesus said, if you'll just seek me first, I'll give you the things won't have to kill yourself trying to get them. You won't have to wear your fingers to the bone trying to achieve them. I will, I'm just willingly add, I can't tell you the number of times in, in my life where I look back and there really is no explanation for some things that I had, I was given or that I have. There's no explanation other than this. I haven't always done it perfectly, but to the best of my ability, I have tried most of my life to seek Him first. Because He is the fountain. He's the fountain. I believe I'm preaching to some people today, and I don't mean this judgmentally or critically I mean it out of a out of a burden out of a sincere desire to see it change but I believe I'm preaching to some people today that that you're trying to just make God an ingredient in your life I know we, we got some cooks in here we've got some bakers in here that that you are you are you are good enough you have become so skilled that something or some things that you cook or bake that that when you taste them afterwards if you forgot forgot salt forgot some other ingredient you you reckon the, the the unskilled untrained person might pick that thing up take a bite of that cookie and think oh this is delicious and you're sitting there going man I, I left out It's not intended to just simply be an ingredient that gets mixed in. Use the analogy before, but too many people live life as if it's a funnel where at the wide end of the funnel, if I can put all the right things in, the right amount of money, get the right career, get the right family, get the right the right clothes, the right house. If I put some God in there, but I, if I put all that into the funnel, then out of the funnel is going to come life. Can I tell you the way it's supposed to work? 
supposed to turn that funnel upside down to the to the small hole and put Jesus in. Because when you put Jesus in, all that other stuff that you're trying to force in to get out life, you put Jesus in and out of that. Really, I'm, 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 I'm trying to quit. I really am. It amazes me. It seems to me many times the people that have the most seem to be the most miserable. And those who have less seem to be some of the happiest, most content people. Neither one of those is always the case 100% of the time. But those that have it all and are trying to achieve more, what did you say the other day, Timothy? How much money did Steph Curry just get signed for? A billion dollars. Under Armour, a billion dollars. A bill for what? never forget years ago there was a there was an athlete who at the time was one of the one of the best receivers in the NFL he was making several million dollars a year and in the middle of his contract he was requesting to negotiate his contract for more money and the reason he gave was he wanted to make sure he could take care of his family Wasn't the, that wasn't the problem. The problem was there's more. The problem is somebody else has more. Somebody else has better. Because I've got this cistern that the more I put into it, the more that just spills out. But if I will connect or if I will reconnect to the fountain, to the source, find an unending supply. Would you bow your head, close your eyes. I wonder if there's anybody here today that would acknowledge, you know what, I I think I might kind of be in a condition like the Lord said through Jeremiah where I've kind of disconnected from the fountain of living water and I've I'm trying to create cisterns in which I can contain and pour into I want to connect I want to reconnect to the fountain not just a fountain but the fountain as heads are bowed and eyes are closed this morning I wonder if there's anybody that would acknowledge the spirit of the Lord is talking to you this morning would like to respond to that, you would respond to that right now. Get out of your seat, make your way down to this altar. If you've, you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, you've never experienced that living water that Jesus was telling the woman at the well about that day, you're missing the greatest thing in all of the world. You're missing the greatest gift in all of the world. Again, those of you that you know what it is to be connected to that fountain, to the fountain of living water, but 
that you've allowed yourself to get distracted with some things in life. You've, you've allowed yourself to focus on some other things, some other pursuits, and, and you're trying to just mix a little bit of Jesus into all of that, but you'd be willing, you feel the need, the desire today that I want to want to be connected to that fountain, that source. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, help us today. Lord, in a world that offers us so many things with so many different promises, promises that can never be fulfilled, can never be the things that satisfy us, you are offering us willingly offering us the source the source of peace the source of joy joy peace that is not dependent upon the circumstances I'm in the situations of my life but joy and peace that is a result of what's on the inside of me flowing out of me in the name of Jesus you feel led to pray with or pray for somebody, would you do that? The Lord leads you to pray for somebody even if they haven't chosen or felt to come to the altar just right where they are. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. You're the heart. You're the source the source you are the source of my contentment nothing else nothing else can satisfy me Jesus without you everything else without you everything else is only momentary fulfillment it doesn't last it's not enough it doesn't satisfy you are the source in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, you're the center, you're the center of my joy, oh yes Lord, you're the fountain, you're the fountain of living water, you're the source, you're the supply of life, in the name of Jesus. Every other source I drink from, I'm going to thirst again. Everything else I try is going to leave me empty. You're the source. You're the fulfillment. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I challenge you young people today. challenge you young adults that are in the process of starting out your own journey, your own life. Make up your mind today that Jesus is going to be the source. Whatever you do, whatever career path you take, whatever whatever possessions you accumulate, that's going to be secondary to the fact that He is your source of fulfillment, contentment joy, peace. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. 
flow from you as the source, source of living water. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You're the heart, you're the heart. that are praying continue to do so if you need to go or you want to go you're welcome to thank you for being here with us today